This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're in chapter 22. In today's passage, the Sadducees decided it was their turn to try to trap Jesus. They tell a strange tale of a family, and it's implied this family is known to them personally, and ask Jesus to explain how they would be related in the resurrection. Given their dismissal of all things supernatural, and particularly the resurrection, this was quite ironic. Of course, Jesus noted both the irony and the trap in their questions. So instead of answering them directly, he pointed out just how dangerous biblical ignorance can be. As we'll see, it leads to terrible mistakes that jeopardize our eternal future. So this merits our close attention as well. Let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. If you have your Bibles with you, find your place in Matthew 22, verses 23 through 33. And let's read together. On that day, some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and questioned him, asking, Teacher, Moses said, If a woman dies having no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third, down to the seventh, less of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So here we have, church, another group of people trying to trap Jesus in his words, trying to set up landmines for him to step on and discredit his message. But this scene here calls our attention to three dangers of biblical ignorance, because that's what the Sadducees were demonstrating And I want us to be aware of those dangers, and uh, knowing those dangers, being aware of them will give us great hope. So, the first one is underestimating the Son of God. That's what these guys were doing, verses 23 through 28. They were underestimating the Son of God. Now, because the Sadducees wanted to defeat Jesus at his own game, they countered his teaching methodology by offering him a parable. Did you notice that? Parables are fictitious stories. They're not real. They're not lies. They're just a a technique. They are meant to make a point. So Jesus uses that technique very often. We spend a lot of time on Matthew 13, for example, talking about the kingdom parables. Now, the Sadducees are aware of this. They come to Jesus and say, well, let me give you a parable now. But the reason I call them lying liberals is because they say, well, there were some brothers with us. That is not true. The story is so far-fetched that they presented to Jesus here that you can say there's no way that you have seven brothers who all died and the wife went down through the seventh brother. This is a devilish parable. It's a lie. But in any case, their strategy proved 
to be a major blunder, a major disaster, embarrassing for them. Because underestimating the Son of God, they base this fictitious and malicious story in the law of the leveret, which says this in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 6. When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. It shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Now, these guys, they were not looking for information from Jesus Christ. That's very obvious. Matthew tells us from the beginning they weren't looking for wisdom from Christ. It's not that they had a question. They wanted to trap him. Following the example of the previous group in verses 15 through 22, they attempted to set him up, even addressing him by terms of endearment. Notice that they said, teacher. Well, they didn't consider Jesus their teacher. This is a, a fake type of flattery. It's a phony, hypocritical devotion. Matthew points out that they did not believe in the resurrection. So if you don't believe the resurrection, what are you doing asking Jesus about the resurrection? Now Luke, for example, observes that the Sadducees not only did not believe in the resurrection, they denied the existence of angels. You see, that's why I'm calling them the ancient liberals of the time. The, anything that was supernatural, anything that was not in the physical world, they denied. Their problem is that they only considered the Pentateuch inspired by God, the first five books of the Bible or the Torah, nothing else. And because they did not see any direct reference to spirit beings or to a resurrection there or to angels... They concluded erroneously, obviously, that these things don't exist. Obviously, they demonstrated a great misunderstanding of Scripture like Jesus points out because, first of all, those concepts are there in the first books of the Bible and they're clearly demonstrated elsewhere in Scripture as well. Now, many people follow that line of thinking even today. Many people share this type of willful ignorance about the Bible. And again, it's willful ignorance. It's not a lack of opportunity to understand. It's not a lack of opportunity to read. But it's willful ignorance. It's not like there is no evidence. It's I will not let God rule over my life. That's the type of ignorance that these guys have. They reject the truth, for example, of the Trinity. They'll say, well, the word is not in the Bible, therefore it cannot be true. Even though the concept is all over the book, all over the pages of Scripture. So because the word never appears in Scripture, they'll say, well, then God is not triune. That's the way of the Sadducee. Did you know, church, that the word discipleship is not in the Bible either? How about the word rapture? Not in the Bible. But the concept is all over the place. Well, it doesn't, it's not there directly. Those words are not there, but the concept is there. My point in telling you this is that we should not reject sound biblical doctrine just because of a theological word is not specifically mentioned in the text, although the concept is. Again, that's the Sadducean way of interpretation of Scripture. It's the liberal way. It's the opposition to Christ way of interpreting Scripture. Now, an incorrect view of the Bible is very damaging, and it, it creates death. It will result in a low view of the Son of God. See, that's why these guys were underestimating the Son of God. They thought that they could trap Him because they had no idea who the Son of God was. And an incorrect view of Scripture will result in a low view of Jesus Christ and consequently a belief system that demotes Him to a good teacher, a moral guy 
Another religious figure of, of, of history, a martyr, someone who died never to rise again from the dead. Many people want us to believe that. Many people who call themselves Christians want us to believe in that. Consider what C.S. Lewis called a trilemma. I don't even know if that's a real word, a trilemma. But he says, you only have three options when you are exposed to the divinity of Jesus Christ. When, when the Son of God reveals himself to you through the pages of the Bible, you can consider him a lunatic because he claimed to be God. So if he's not God, but he claimed to be God, he has to be crazy. So according to C.S. Lewis, he's either a lunatic or a liar because he claimed to be God knowing that he was not God. Or the other option, which is that he is Lord. And that is the only valid option because he proved to be Lord by raising from the dead, by giving plenty of evidence of his resurrection and, and therefore proving his divinity. Now let me take some time now to show you his divinity and his lordship here. Paul writes to Titus in case you need it. You say, well, or maybe somebody told you the Bible never claims that Jesus is God. This is what Paul tells Titus. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus 2, verses 11 through 13. You will remember, for example, when Jesus received worship from doubting Thomas. When Thomas said, I will not believe him until I see the, the marks of the crucifixion. And when Jesus Christ showed up to him and said, touch here, Thomas. Thomas called him, my Lord and my God, John 20, verse 28. Don't let anybody tell you that this was an expression of surprise of Thomas. saying, Oh, my Lord, my God. Because this was not the way that Hebrew people talked at the time. This was him giving him worship and Jesus accepting it. Now, I could preach an entire sermon of the other claims of divinity that from Jesus himself and from the rest of the Bible. But that's not the point of the passage here. I just want to show to you that people who deny the divinity of Christ, people who deny the supernatural, specifically in the area of the divinity of Christ, cannot be saved. Because by rejecting such a foundational truth, they willfully underestimate the Son of God, just like the Sadducees here did. And likewise, people who deny the resurrection of Christ don't have saving faith. You see, when people deny the resurrection of Christ... They are placing their faith in just a man, just like anybody else. They might as well just believe in someone who never rose from the dead, a religious leader who is still in the grave, for example, Muhammad or Buddha or Joseph Smith or David Koresh. Take your pick. They're all in the grave. They never rose from the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead because there is such a thing as the resurrection of the dead against the Sadducean way of thinking. Underestimating the Son of God leads to eternal death. The sad destiny of the Sadducees here, when these guys died, they woke up in the afterlife surprised by the screams of agony of people around them, which they themselves would start to experience as soon as they woke up in Hades, lower Hades to be more specific. Listen to this, Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. By the way, this is not a parable. That Jesus tells, because when Jesus tells parables, he uses fictitious characters. This is a real story. Listen to Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. Now, there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyous living in splendor every day. 
And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by angels. See, angels do exist, according to what Christ says. And by the way, he's going to heaven not because he was poor, but because he was a believer in the true God. So the poor man died and was carried away by angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried in Hades. See, the, the, the guy who ended up in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. So he's looking up from Hades, being in torment. And he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And sent Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. For I am in agony in this flame. So church, in lower Hades there is agony, there is flame, and there is people who are desperate to get out. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, bad things. But now he's being comforted here. See, the other point that we need to understand is wherever this was, the Abraham's bosom, there's comfort. And you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you, there's a great chasm fix. So those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able. And none may cross over from there to us. See, another point for us to understand between Hades and this place, there's a great chasm there that people can't go from one to the other. And people who are in lower Hades want to go there, but they can't because they're suffering in agony forever. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, talking to Abraham, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Another point for us to understand, lower Hades is a place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. That's a reference to the Bible, the Old Testament. In other words, they need to read their Bibles. They need to understand Scripture. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. So church, what do we learn here? That unless people understand their Bibles and they read their Bibles, it, even if someone raises from the dead and tells them, They will not believe. That's the power of Scripture that the Sadducees misunderstood, that they missed the power of Scriptures. That's, unless you read Scriptures and you are convinced from the text because that is direct revelation from God, you will not be convinced. And here are the Sadducees. Imagine the day that they died. They are there in this place of agony, wanting to get out, learning truth way too late. And it's an irreversible situation for them and for everybody who dies outside of Christ. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God, the Bible says. The living God, not the God of the dead. Sadly, the Sadducees misunderstood Moses and neglected the prophets. You see, what Abraham says in this story here, he says, they need to listen to Moses and the prophets. Well, the Sadducees only listened to Moses. And even that, even then, they missed what Moses said. They neglected the prophecies because all of the prophecies point to Jesus Christ. And they missed that. Church, likewise, anyone who refuses to take the Bible at face value does the same thing. They miss God, and as a result, they are at great risk of spending eternity in a place of torment, in a place of agony, in a place where the flame never dies. They will join this man in eternal agony unless they repent. And that's our job to tell them. 
Listen to Moses and the prophets. Listen to what the Bible says. Repent. Come to faith in Jesus Christ and you will live. No. Speaking of Moses and the prophets, let me show you the second danger of biblical ignorance. This, the first one we concluded is underestimating the Son of God. But the second is undervaluing the Word of God. The first part of verse 29, undervaluing the Word of God. The first half of this verse here, verse 29, contains what I call one of the most frightening statements. From the mouth of Jesus Christ. You don't want to hear that from Christ. Unless it's in a context of correction. And, and you are mistaken, now you want to be corrected. But the point is, I fear misunderstanding the word of God greatly. Not only for my own spiritual health, but also for the health of the flock that God has entrusted to my care. If I don't know what I'm talking about from up here, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. If I don't understand what the Bible says, then you're not going to understand what the Bible says. So I welcome this healthy fear. It's the fear of misunderstanding God's Word. Because that fear drives me to my Bible and to my knees to ask God to please help me understand truth so that I can communicate truth to your people, Lord. Grant me understanding of your word. I don't want to be mistaken in misunderstanding the word of God and the power of God. See, these guys miss the fact that God is powerful enough to raise people from the dead. But although terrifying, Christ's statement here should lead mistaken people to the right understanding of God's word. This should have been a wake-up call for these guys and say, we are mistaken. We are wrong. So hopefully, towards the end of this scene here, when people were astonished in verse 33 at his teaching, hopefully that astonishment led some of them to repent and come to the correct understanding of resurrection and the existence of angels, but most importantly, who Jesus Christ was. Now, in the days prior of uh, GPS, many of us experienced the frustration of realizing we were driving south when we meant to be driving north. Now, remember the Thomas Guide maps? Remember those days where you'd have to pull over and open the whole thing up and say, where am I again? See, in Southern California, my point of reference was the ocean. See, if the ocean is on my uh, left side, that means I'm going north. If the ocean's on the other side, then that means I'm going south. If I can't see the ocean, I'm desperately lost. So these were our lives before the days of GPS because we either missed or misread the signs. You see, how much more tragic would it be if we misread God's clear instruction and precious word of God? See, the Sadducees failed to understand scripture, not because the text wasn't available to them or clear, but because they selected which portions of the Bible were convenient to their system. People do this all the time today. Maybe some of us did this in the past before the Word of God grabbed a, a hold of our hearts and convinced us that we should be the ones to change, not the unchanging Word of God. You see, we don't want to be like Thomas Jefferson in his infamous The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. He cut out, literally, from Scripture any portion that was against his preconceived notion of the supernatural. He didn't like the supernatural, so he cut those parts. Well, we don't do that literally today, but many people pick and choose what they want to believe. Uh, I, I believe that Jesus is love because the Bible says that. So, yeah, John 3.16, God so loved the world. I love that verse. I'll take that. How about the one that Jesus says, if you don't hate mother and father because of me, you're not worthy of me. Wow. Now, Paul instructs Timothy that all Scripture is inspired by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All scripture is inspired by God. Not Moses only. Not the letters of the New Testament only. 
Not only the prophecies, not only the Psalms, the wisdom literature, but all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Even the words that confront us. Even the portions of the Bible that confront our preconceived notions of what life should be, of what I want life to be. Even the parts that says God is holy and he will judge sinners. And you need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's not an invitation. It's a summons. See, church, there's not a syllable in this book that doesn't have the power to transform your life. Christ himself quoted from other parts of the Old Testament, showing to the Sadducees that you can go beyond the first five books of the Old Testament and still find truth about the Son of God. Matthew, for example, does it more than any of the other three evangelists combined. He quotes from the Old Testament. And that leads us to the third danger of Bible ignorance, a biblical ignorance, I should say. Underestimating the Son of God is one of them. Undervaluing the Word of God is the second. And thirdly, here, verses 29, the rest of the verse, all the way to verse 33, is underappreciating the power of God. Besides correcting their wrong view of the afterlife, Jesus explains that in a resurrected state, the institution of marriage becomes obsolete, which is true of the spiritual realm right now. Angels don't get married. In other words, the law of the leveret, not binding on the church today, applied to the living only, prior to resurrection. That's his point. They're bringing to him the law of the leveret. He's saying, well, that law only applied to the living prior to resurrection because physical and spiritual union, for example, becoming one flesh, is reserved for marriage and it's an exclusive blessing we enjoy in this life. But when we get to the resurrected state, we will enjoy much better things. We will be together until death separates us. But resurrected saints have no need for that level of companionship. Why, church? Because they will enjoy glorified, sinless fellowship with one another and with God in His very presence. So we're not going to need that type of fellowship that we enjoy now. More importantly, we will have permanent and uninterrupted access to God, the very source of all love, joy, and spiritual intimacy. And, check this out, metaphorically, we will all be married to one husband because we are the bride of Christ, according to Scripture here. That's a whole different type of existence, much better than what we have now. But the people who underappreciate the power of God in resurrecting people, like the Sadducees, for example, don't have this hope. Sadly, Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 31 through 35, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, he says, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame, he says. So some people have no knowledge of God. That's the Sadducees. They have no hope of the resurrection. For tomorrow we die, he says. If this is the only life, if the next 20 years, 30 years is all you have to look forward to, man, that is not joy. You are missing out of the great hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Or you can't have in Christ if you're not in him already. You see, church, how much we have to rejoice we have much to thank God for, and we have much to rejoice over. And we have a lot of people to reach. We have many people to tell them this good news. 
Wouldn't you tell the entire world if you had found the cure for cancer? Church, we have the cure for hopelessness. His name is Christ. He rose from the dead, and whoever believes in him will also raise in like manner. Like Paul says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who are asleep. That's, that's the perspective for us believers. When, when you die, your body goes to the grave. You look like you're just sleeping because you're going to wake up one day. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruit. After that, those who are in Christ at his coming. Church, that includes you and me. This scene took place on Wednesday of Passion Week. On Sunday, Jesus arose from the grave, proving to the world, specifically to the Sadducees, that he is the living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Obviously, the question for us is this. Is he your God? Father, thank you for the clarity of your word and the hope of the resurrection in Christ. And Lord, may we be even more courageous and committed to that hope, Lord, as we speak to others who don't know Jesus Christ, Lord. Bring someone in our hearts this week with whom we can share this good news, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people, just like you, to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it, or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth With Grace. Grace.